Well, I guess this is as close to as time as possible. I apologize for the heat in here. Um, I think they're trying to get somebody to work on all the classrooms. It's warm. Uh, I started out when I came in the room with a sport coat on and a sweater vest and um, <laughs> unfortunately my wife won't let me take another shirt off. Or I, <laughs> I it, is, it is extremely hot up here and I'm just hot natured anyway. I'm glad that um, you're here to share this time with me. Um, and I have a whole lot of notes. I'm not even sure how long I'll stay with my outline or not. Um, but there was a time in my ministry, and I apologize again for my voice. I'm uh, struggling with some uh, throat issues. But there was a time in my um, ministry uh, that my own story of heartache and pain was such a, uh, such a raw, open wound that it um, permeated uh, all of my teaching, all of my preaching, and it was just always, always there. Um, I'm really grateful that um, God has worked in my life and has brought out um, some immense beauty. It's given me, he's given me great hope. Um, and maybe you know my story and maybe you don't. If you don't, I'll give you a quick um, overview. About seven years ago, on a Wednesday, much like today, I got a call on the church office phone. It was my um, then wife who said, and I quote, I think Cole has been molested. It turns out she was right. Our physically and uh, mentally disabled child um, had been uh, more than just molested. I remember after the police got involved, um, they did what they call a forensic interview. They brought in child specialists. Cole um, was... Uh, 20 years old at the time, um, and yet he was much like a, a small child. Um, but they brought in a forensic specialist, and they did um, forensic interviews, and they recorded those interviews uh, while my wife and I sat out in another room and, and waited. And um, when it was over with, um, the police wouldn't tell me much. Uh, all they gave me initially was, um, we have enough to proceed. We'll be presenting this to the grand jury, and of course that was difficult because we wanted it to not be true. Um, and as he was leaving, he turned around and, and he said something to me that I didn't understand at the time. It was kind of strange and, and a little off. He looked at me and he said, if you never believe another thing I say, you need to listen to me very carefully. And I'm, you know, in shell shock as it was, and he says, if anybody ever tries uh, to show you the inter tape interviews of this conversation we've had with your son, do not watch the interview. And I didn't understand um, at the time what he meant. It would be about a month or so before I found out that um, Cole had been much more than just molested, if we can put it in that language. He had been uh, raped, and it was um, after uh, the double murder of he and his mother um, that I found out that he had not just been raped once, but had been raped um, repeatedly. It's a lot of uh, really tough stuff in the telling of this story. Um, and if I sound like it's matter of fact, uh, I've told it enough and I've gotten to the point where I just have to wall some of it off 
And if somebody needs to know the story in order to get what we're, we need to get, then I just have to tell it um, as flatly um, and as easily as, as I know how. Uh, you might imagine that in uh, time, that in time life became incredibly, incredibly hard. Um, my publisher is here today and he has threatened me um, that I have to tell everybody I have a book. Uh, I have a book. It tells about a lot of this. Um, some of the stuff um, was in there originally and they came back and said, you know, it's really too graphic. We need to back that down. We need to um, soften the blow up a little bit. But if you want to read more, uh, you can either buy the book or you can uh, Google my name. You can go to the blog. It's a lot of raw stuff out there that I, that I wrote um, initially. So life became really hard. In fact, if I'm honest with you, as I have to be with myself, um, there are still uh, ongoing losses that are yet to be um, reconciled. There are difficulties and obstacles yet to be overcome, uh, and some of them I'm not sure that we'll ever um, overcome and, and get to a better place. And I understand that as I stand here in front of you and, and, and tell you this kind of thing, I understand that as I, I talk about my story that uh, for most of you, and, and I hope all of you, it's, it's so far outside the norm that you can't really grasp all of it. And um, I would lay down in front of an 18-wheeler to keep you from having to understand it personally. Uh, I understand that, that what I have been through is, is not anywhere near uh, your norm um, or anybody else's norm that, that we might uh, eventually talk about or talk to. But here's where I want us to get in order to go where we're going to go. The reality is if you are breathing, you have some kind of hurt. You have some kind of hang-up. You have some kind of heartache or pain or difficulty, whatever degree that difficulty or pain or heartache might be. And your struggles may be characterized by yourself or by others as minor, or, or you, they may be characterized as, as, as major, and it really doesn't matter because we're not in the business of trying to decide whose pain is worse than the others. I went to a doctor one time when I was in the Navy, and um, he was going to do this uh, quote-unquote minor procedure without any anesthetic and with me awake and me looking at him. And I, I looked at him and I said, are you serious? And he said, yeah. You're going to think it hurts, but it doesn't really hurt. And I looked at him and I said, how about I cold cock you in the jaw and tell you you think it hurts, but it doesn't really hurt. So here's the deal. If you think it hurts, it hurts, right? If you feel the pain, you feel the pain. And so we're not going to talk about how your pain is greater than mine or lesser than mine or, or you're not as bad off as he is or she's not as bad off as you are. We all have difficulty. Can we get an amen and just agree? Amen. For whatever it might be, for whatever the cause is, for whatever the source is, we all have pain and heartache and difficulty. And the amazing thing about that is uh, we sometimes forget that pain seems to be a great part of the human condition. Now, we do our best to alleviate it, and we do our best to get out of it. Uh, we do our best at times to self-medicate, but we all know that pain is there, and we all do whatever we can to get out of that pain. 
I wonder if you've ever noticed, really noticed, what Isaiah 53 in verse 3 says about Jesus. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Now we tend, when we think about Jesus and pain, what do we think about? The cross, the, the arrest, the trial, the beatings, the scourgings, all the stuff that leads up to, to the final act on the cross. And we think, yeah, Jesus knows pain. But if I read this right, Jesus understood what pain was about before He ever got to the cross. Today I want us to look as quickly as we can. I want us to look at some of the pain that is found in his family tree. Particularly three horrific stories of pain and degradation and exploitation. And when we look at these stories, you need to understand that none of these would be the kind of stories that we will tell our kids at bedtime. These are not the kind of stories we wish someone to think about so that they'll have uh, sweet dreams as they drift off to sleep. Um, instead, these stories are by virtue um, of their nature more befitting uh, to the brothers grim. And I'm talking about Tamar, Rahab, and Bathsheba. It'll be my task this afternoon to help you recognize uh, the horror that's found in each of their stories. First up is Tamar. Now if you know much about uh, her story, uh, it's contained in all of Genesis chapter 38. The whole chapter is, is about um, Tamar. It's a story of family tragedy. It's a story of loss. It's a story of evil, wicked men. It is a story of exploitation. And before the whole sordid mess is over with, Tamar is thoroughly dishonored. She is devalued. She is discounted and seen as absolutely nothing. And if you turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 38, I'm not going to read that. Um, we're going to pretend like this is a G audience, and you'll have to read some of the background yourself. Um, but it's really sordid. It's really ugly. And it's really shocking, if you don't know much about the Bible, to find that story right there in Genesis chapter 38 in the first book. It's really, really ugly. I've taken you about as deep into it as I'm going to. Uh, you just got the G-rated Cliff Notes version. Uh, you can open your Bibles tonight, today or sometime later and read the story and maybe it'll, what I'm telling you will make a little more sense. And then there's Rahab. Rahab in Joshua chapter 2. I looked up an awful lot of translations. I lined them up one after the other. I don't know, I stopped at probably 10 or 12. And I couldn't find a single translation of the Bible that uses a socially tolerable word to describe who Rahab was. At least back in Mississippi, if you want to 
draw back a nub, you use one of those words in, 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 in conjunction with somebody you know. It's not the way you want to talk about anyway. And I'm well aware that there are grave ramifications <coughs> in calling somebody a, a prostitute or a harlot or a whore. I understand that. And, and again, in my southern upbringing, those are not um, socially acceptable words to bandy about. In fact, I can tell you right now, um, as a preacher, if um, one of my elders got a hold of the bulletin before it went out into publication that week and saw the sermon title was, uh, you know, the whore of Jericho, I can guarantee you that I would get a phone call or a text or an email or a bunch of them. What do you mean? You can't use that. And yet it's right there in the Bible. You know, Rahab is described as a whore and as a prostitute or as a harlot. And we all know what those words mean, right? Yeah, I don't have to describe, right? Al, um, if my friend Al's back there, if anybody needs a description, an ex explanation, I'm going to send them to you. And you can pull it out of your legal background. Um, you're welcome, by the way. <clears throat> I'm glad I'm here to help you. Um, we all know what those words mean. And, and we all know what we think when we hear those words. Y'all remember um, Richard Gare and what's her name? Julia Roberts. Julia Roberts. Pretty Woman. Mm -hmm. It's a great movie. It's a sweet movie. It's a fun movie. But they glorify something in that movie that is anything but. To say the word whore, to say the word harlot, or to call someone a prostitute is to announce here's a person who is living a life of degradation. Her body is not her own. Her life is not her own. Anybody here have daughters? I don't have any daughters. Bless your hearts. I'm, I'm thankful that we have nothing but boys in our family. Um, although we have a couple that I'm afraid um, have as much drama as a teenage girl at time, times, but um, I'm glad I don't have a daughter. Um, I don't know what I would do if a daughter came to me and said something um, totally off the wall like, you know, when I grow up, I think I want to run a house of ill repute. You just don't hear that, do you? I mean, how many, how many women do you think got into that business and that was their life goal? In fact, most women that get into that business, somebody helped them, didn't they? They got put there. They got put there. When I was writing about Rahab um, in a, my book, there's a chapter on her. Um, Jason Fikes with Leafwood challenged me to think about something and he pointed me to a verse in fact he pointed me to Joshua chapter 2 in verses 2 through 3 I'm going to read that one to you but he pointed me to this verse and he made a really great point he was right Joshua 2 reads the king of Jericho was told look some of the Israelite men have come here to investigate the land. Then the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab and said, Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, for they came 
to investigate the entire land. Now you might have to read between the lines a little bit, but I'm going to ask you to dig deep and to think about what you just read and what you just heard. I think it's safe to say that at the very least, Rahab was working under the direction or the control or the knowledge of the ruling authority in Jericho. So again, I submit that like Tamar, Rahab, not innocent of her own sin, but a victim of some degree, some <coughs> level of exploitation. Now, we're going to talk about Bathsheba, but I want to back up and talk to you about that word, exploited. It's an ugly word. Um, one of the problems, one of the things that happened in the life of my family was my disabled child um, did not like change. And when I say he did not like change, uh, that meant going to the store. That meant leaving his room. That meant leaving the house. That meant putting on something else to wear. He didn't like change. And, and, and as a result, life became very, very hard with Cole. It was hard to go anywhere. It was hard to go anywhere as a family. Um, we often had um, times where I went places or times where my wife went places. And it was very difficult for us to have times to go places together. Um, church on Sunday morning was about the only time uh, that my son would, was willing and ready to venture out of the house because there were people at church that paid attention to him and, and loved on him, and, 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 and he liked that. Um, but often even getting him out the door for church was a battle. And, and we struggled. We struggled greatly. And one day, this elderly man, came and said, I know you have a hard time. I know that it's difficult to get out of the house. Can I come to your house every Wednesday afternoon for a couple of hours so that your wife can leave? So she and our youngest child, uh, who was five at the time, it's four, um, so they could get out of the house and go do stuff. We thought it was a godsend. Yes. I mean, how many kids don't need an extra grandpa, right? Yeah. But it was a time of exploitation. It was a time when uh, parents were gone and advantage could be taken, where a gun could be brought out and threatened. Uh, it was an awful, awful time. So I get Tamar. I get Rahab. I get that they're, it's exploited in ways that we sometimes don't fail to see. One of the things I did in this book that I wrote was I wanted to be able to take a look at different characters of the Bible and instead of just looking at them on the flat page, I wanted to take what I called a sideways view and try to come at them from a different direction and, and try to figure out what made them tick, why they were different, and I will never ever be able to read about Tamar or about Rahab again without realizing that these weren't just women caught up in circumstances. These were women who were being abused and exploited by people that were supposed to be their family, their kin. 
So we get to the story of Bathsheba. And Bathsheba um, is an interesting story. Uh, Bathsheba is found in 2 Samuel chapter 11. It's a familiar story because human nature hasn't changed uh, one iota in all of the ensuing years. But I will be, my wife says I'm not supposed to tell about how old I'm going to be, but since it's this Saturday, I'll go ahead and say <laughs> I'm going to be 56 years old this coming Saturday. Happy birthday. Thank you. Um, a whole millions of people celebrate my birthday every year, Cinco de Mayo. Uh, <laughs> and it's me they're celebrating, I know. You bet. But, uh, I don't even know what I was thinking to say now. Bathsheba. In my lifetime, I have seen a change in the way we have looked at the story of Bathsheba in the church. Now, when I was growing up and you heard somebody talk about Bathsheba, uh, you might have heard things like, what kind of a woman was she? There she was, out on her rooftop, bathing for all the world to see, as if she went up there on purpose with the sole... Well, you get it. She was up there to seduce the king. And, and all of the blame was put on Bathsheba. And she was this horrible, wicked person. And, and we just shake our heads at, at poor King David because he was a man after God's own heart. And so he surely couldn't have had any fault in this matter. It was her. And yet we've come to learn things differently. We've come to understand that a woman at that point in history had very little in the way of power or control or the ability to dictate her own life. And I suspect she had very little voice with which she could use to deny the king. So again, I'm going to let you uh, be the scholar and read through that story yourself. I'm going to let you lift her off the page and, and hold her in your hand, if you will, and look at her from, from every angle. And, and hopefully you will get the idea at some point that Bathsheba uh, wasn't this evil, wicked temptress, but instead she was another in a long line of women who had been exploited and used for someone's wicked desire. You know, we could stop right here, and it would be a really good place, although it's not really what the lesson is supposed to be about. But we could stop right here, and we could camp out, and we could preach, and we could preach again. We could probably make a series of lessons about, about what it means to treat women the way women ought to be treated. We could talk about the Me Too movement. We could talk about all of the things that revolve around human sexuality and, and valuing one another and and. and, and taking care of one another and seeing people as they really are, uh, people made in the image of God. We could spend an awful lot of time. In fact, we probably should. We probably all ought to go back home and we probably all ought to separate our boys for a little while and say, look, you need to understand this is how you treat a woman. Period. Um, we ought to take our girls and help them understand this is how you act. This is how you treat a man. You look at each other with respect. You look at each other with love. You look at each other not as an object, but as a person made in the image of God. I'm blessed um, to be married again. 
Um, between us uh, living and li or alive and dead, we have uh, six boys. Um, anybody want one? <laughs> From almost 21 to 12, we'll help you out. Um, but one of the things that I have decided has to be my goal, one of my major goals in life, I want every one of those boys to see nothing but, I don't want to say use the word worship, but maybe I should. I want them to see me uh, lifting up and valuing their mom, their stepmom, as if she was the most important person in the world. Because I want grandkids one day, <laughs> more than the one we have. And I want my children, whether I got them through adoption, through marriage, or through birth, I want my children to grow up and to have good lives where they honor their spouse and their spouse honors them and their children learn that. Because that's the only way we're going to fix the brokenness in this world. That's the only way we're going to do it, one person at a time teaching each other how we ought to live. And I've just digressed, and I'm off the reservation with my outline, and, and I'm on to another series that, that maybe we should take up some other time. But so we have the story of Tamar. We have the story of Rahab. We have the story of Bathsheba. Now I want you to read with me from Matthew chapter 1. I want you to read what might just be the most exciting piece of Scripture you will ever read. Matthew chapter 1. I make no apologies ahead of time for the butchering of names. <laughs> An account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. <clears throat> Abraham fathered Isaac. Isaac fathered Jacob. Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers. Judah fathered Perez and Zerah by Tamar. There's that name. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Aram, Aram fathered Abinadab, Abinadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered uh, Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab, there's that other name. Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered King David. David fathered Solomon uh, by Uriah's wife, uh, we know who that was, right? Solomon fathered Rehoboam, Rehoboam fathered Abijah, Abijah fathered Asa, Asa fathered Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat fathered Joram, Joram fathered Uzzah, Uzzah fathered Jotham, Jotham fathered Ahaz, Ahaz fathered Hezekiah, Hezekiah fathered Manasseh, Manasseh fathered Ammon, Ammon fathered Josiah, Josiah fathered Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah fathered uh, Shieldtail. Shieldtail fathered Zerubbabel. You know why Becky and I don't have another child? Because she won't let me name him Jeconiah. That might be the coolest name ever. But Zerubbabel fathered Abiad. Abiad fathered Eliakim. Eliakim fathered Azor. Azor fathered Zadok. Zadok, Zadok fathered Achim. Achim fathered Eliad. Eliad fathered Eliziar. Eliziar fathered Matthian. Matthian fathered Jacob. And Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Christ. That's an absolutely amazing passage of Scripture. Now, I know that when you read your, start a new 
Bible reading program at the first of the year and, and you read through some of the Old Testament passages and it's kind of boring because you don't really understand a whole lot about Leviticus. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And then you get to the Gospels and you get this part and your eyes kind of just glaze over with all those names. But what I want you to see is that every single name in that long list, every single name has a story. Every single name has some happiness associated with it, some trauma associated with it, some difficulty associated with it, but every single name has a story. And, and, and more importantly, every single one of those stories has more in common with us than we might ever believe. In particular, there's the stories of Tamar and Rahab and Bathsheba. And amazingly enough, if you look at it really carefully, two of the men that exploited them are also found listed in this family tree. The older I get, the more fascinated I am by the study of genealogy. I got an email yesterday from Ancestry.com to tell me that in two more weeks my DNA profile will be through and I'll get to find out about all the criminals and black sheep that I'm related to. <laughs> and I'm looking forward to it. I think it's really neat to, to, to look back at your family tree. Um, at some point in time I was a little more interested and, and, I, and I did a little <laughs> snooping around and, and I was able to find um, the voter registration for my great-grandfather somewhere in the Delta of Mississippi. And my dad was just amazed by it. I found it and I was able to make a copy of it and give it to him. It was one of his Christmas presents that year. Uh, so it's a really interesting thing to figure out who you are, where you've come from. Um, my youngest son um, was adopted. Uh, we adopted him the day he was born. And um, all we knew about his birth parents was um, his father um, was basically a full-blooded Italian and his mother came from from Denmark something like that well we got his DNA back a couple months ago didn't have one iota of Italian in him like 1% of, of something that would come from Denmark and the rest of it was Portuguese and British so it's kind of funny you just never know what you're going to find but I'm fascinated by what I find in this family tree. If I read correctly from Romans 8 and Hebrews chapter 2, both of those passages refer to Jesus as our, anybody remember? Brother. So what that means is metaphorically, if not spiritually, we share a family tree with Jesus. And so through Jesus, you know sometimes we talk about, well, well we're related somewhere, at least back to, to Noah, if not Adam. You know, we're related somehow or another. I can claim, and so can you, a family lineage that goes all the way through Jesus back to those three specific women. Tamar, Rahab, 
and Bathsheba. And all three of these women are examples of a broken, messed up, difficult, exploited lives. More than I want to admit, these women, they're my people. I'm related to them. And even if you want to take away and discount everything I've said about the family tree of Jesus, if you want to just forget about that, then I claim them as my people by virtue of the heartache and the pain and the difficulty they experienced in their lives. These are my people. And so I read the story of Tamar or Rahab or Bathsheba and I see their frailties and I see their humanity I see the mistakes they might have made. I see the way that they were treated. I get that they were exploited. But when I read their stories, I feel a very real kinship with these three women who were broken by the society and the culture and their own families. Broken. Broken, broken, broken. But all three of their stories tell me something even more exciting. All three of those stories of brokenness tell me that no matter how bad it gets, no matter where we end up, no matter how deep the hole might be, there's not a single one of us whose lives are unredeemable for the purposes of God. How in the world could you imagine redeeming the story of a woman that the Bible calls a harlot or a prostitute or a whore? And yet, and yet, if you read beyond what we started out with in Joshua 2, she becomes a part of Israel, the lineage of Jesus. It's a funny serendipity for me. But it took being broken hard for me to understand that I had always been broken. I was in a conversation at lunch with a man who was a professor here. And he was talking about uh, teaching theology. He was talking about how we try to, to teach uh, people about their brokenness, uh, but there comes a point in time when you really don't get it until you've experienced it yourself, mm -hmm. until you recognize it in you. I can tell you all day long how you need to handle yourself if, if difficulty comes along, but it's an entirely different matter when it happens to me, and I have to live it. Mm -hmm. It changes your theology. It changes the way you interact with peoples, with others. So here's where I am. 
Look at that time. I think I'm supposed to go all the way to three. Y'all get bonus time. You can go hang out because we're almost through. Unless you want to buy a book because he's got books back there to sell. I'm supposed to tell you that. Oh, I never knew I was going to become a book salesman. But whatever my story was, whatever my story might yet be, God can and God does work through all of it. And he can redeem anything in your life. He can redeem. I want to end with Psalms 147. I want to read verses 2 through 6. And I want you just to reflect on it and then we'll have a prayer. The Lord rebuilds Jerusalem. He gathers Israel's exiled people. He heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. He counts the number of the stars. He gives names to all of them. Our Lord is great, vast in power. His understanding is infinite. The Lord helps the oppressed but brings the wicked to the ground. Would you pray with me? Lord, I never thought I'd ever get to the day where I could say kind of, sort of, thank you for some of the heartache in my life. I wish... that I could have learned some of these lessons in a less intense, less intrusive way. But Lord, I'm thankful that you have showed yourself faithful and have shown yourself to be patient and have shown yourself to be loving. I thank you, Lord, for lifting me out of the depths of my despair and bringing me to a new place of faithfulness, to a new place of, of hope, to a new place of usefulness. And Lord, I ask that you remind everyone in this room that no matter how difficult their story is or how difficult it may yet be, and that you are a redeemer. And you can redeem. And you do. And you will. I ask you, Lord, to help us to learn how to be patient with you. Because you don't always do things, Lord, the way we think you ought to. You don't always do things, Lord, the way, the timing in which we think it ought to be done. And Lord, honestly, there are some things we just may never understand. But yet we trust you and we wait for your redemption. Forgive us and bless us. In your son's name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, that's all that I have prepared. If you have questions, I'll be glad to try and answer them. Yes, ma'am, Janie.
And what happened to him? He killed himself the very day. Um, my wife doesn't like to hear any of this. So I was giving her the signal. Okay. Stick your hands in your ears. Um, uh, I wasn't there. Um, but the blood that was remained even after the house was professionally cleaned by biological cleaners. Um, uh, the blood that we still found months later um, and from what we gathered from the police, um, it was a horrific fight. And um, he came with a hatchet and a gun. And at some point in time, um, my deceased wife got the hatchet away and worked on him with it. Um, from what we understand, um, his injuries were pretty grievous. And um, he went home, went to his house and, and, and killed himself. Uh, and you're right, I struggled with forgiveness. I can remember, um, a lot. there's a lot of blurry in there, but I can remember just a couple of weeks after the funerals, uh, somebody bringing something up in class and somebody mentioning his name. And I remember um, <coughs> sitting in the audience and raising my hand. Uh, I'm not proud of this, but this is what I said. I hope every single member of his family suffers and hurts for the rest of their lives. Um, that's probably the, a kinder version of the way I actually said it. Um, and I did. I struggled uh, with forgiveness until the day it dawned on me that he was dead and gone. And um, all of the anger and hate and rage um, that I was directing toward him wasn't bothering him in the least, mm -hmm. yeah. but he was eating me alive. Mm -hmm. And um, I remembered uh, what a lady told me uh, the first full-time uh, preaching ministry job I had in Laurel, Mississippi. She said, forgiveness is a gift you give yourself. And I remembered that, and um, it was like pouring water out of a pitcher. A lot of stress and tension just left. I just Now, let me hasten to say, that does not mean um, that on my son's birthday this year, I won't have to learn how to forgive him all over again. Mm -hmm. um, but I have forgiven him, um, and yet it's a work in progress, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Yes, ma'am. I didn't. Um, did you have to go through, uh, or did you go through professional counseling? Um, <coughs> you know, we tried. Mm -hmm. um, Mississippi, like a lot of other states, has a um, victims of violent crime thingamajig. <laughs> I don't know what, I forget what they call it, bureau, whatever. And um, they supposedly provided counseling um, to all of us. Mm -hmm. And I went a couple of times. Um, my now 21-year-old uh, went and went one time and the counselor told us he was perfectly fine. Um, he has since gone back to counseling on his own at college because uh, he, didn't, he didn't handle anything no. for years. Um, uh, so, yes, but it wasn't very good. Mm -hmm. 
some of them would probably tell you I could probably use a, a you know a lot right now too. So I don't know. It's never too late. No. Um, sorry for the plug, but that was my therapy. Um, it was my catharsis. I um, I started writing a blog about a year after. Uh, those early early blog entries are pretty raw, pretty harsh, um, but but I wrote my way to a, to a better place. That and the fact that the girl that broke my heart uh, 24, 25, 26, however many years earlier it was that I joined the Navy to get away from finally changed her mind <laughs> and realized how horribly wrong she had been. <laughs> and, uh, Sorry, sweet. No, I'm not. <laughs> Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. Um, so I don't have boys. I have three girls. And um, what you Can said do about this with me. Bless you. One, two, three. Bless, Bless your heart. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they're delightful. They're amazing women. Um, but when you were talking about teaching the boys how to treat women, I and and yes, women. Our, our girls need to be taught how to treat men, but I, I think what we're not teaching our, our daughters is to recognize when they're being exploited and what to do about it. And it's really hard because yeah. um, everything from toothpaste to anything else you want to buy in our culture is sold by sex appeal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, <clears throat> I was 16 when my father thought it was wise to have a conversation with me about about um, women and, and op the opposite sex and sex and all that and and, and lust. That was his, his word. I'm sorry. He was, um, this is old school. He wanted to talk about lasciviousness. <laughs> uh, if I had to spell that today, I'd fail. Um, but at any rate, I remember this long lecture about that that I got and at the end of it I said dad you know what it takes for me to lust and he said what I said I'm 16 waking up <laughs> you know uh, and my point was that um, for a 16 17 18 year old guy um, you know it's girls sports cars food in some uh, capacity or, or some arrangement thereof are all are all together um, but it is a cultural thing, and I don't know how I don't know how to how to do it except one one person at a time. Um, I, I think we have to do to tell our girls they are more uh, than the sum total of their physical attributes. And and I'm a guy, you know. I don't think God made anything prettier right. than women. Um, but yet they're more than just what's on the outside, and we're a very outside oriented. People, you know, we judge a book by its cover instead of seeing what's on the inside. It's a hard battle, but we have to fight it, or else we'll end up with more stories of exploitation. Yes, ma'am. Wondering, kind of on the, on the other side, or, or along with um, this, uh, uh, this uh, lady's uh, question, masculinity and violence. Mm -hmm. you know, that if you feel like you've been harmed or you feel like there's something that you want or you feel like there's something you're entitled or privileged to, mm. that the way to get it is to respond in violence. 
to reach out and to hurt or to take or whatever. I mean, it's wrong when it's against women, but it's also wrong against men. That's because culturally we're trained um, that, you know, power is the way to get um, mm. what you want. Mm -hmm. And um, we're accustomed to that. So I think we have to help people understand. I think we have to help our young ladies understand um, that if they don't value themselves, no one else will. Mm -hmm. And they have to set the standard of how they're going to be valued right. and how they're going to be looked at. Right. Um, and, and our guys need to understand um, that being a male, being a man, isn't a license to do whatever you want and exercise your power and uh, in, in, in whatever you want. Um, gentleness, part of the fruit of the Spirit, uh, one of the best ways um, I've ever heard that described is power under control. Uh, we have a lot to teach a lot of folks about what's right. And here's where I am, um, since we've got just another minute, um, and, and why I wrote part of what I did in the book. I'm really tired as a minister, um, as a father, of, of the very flat, um, two-dimensional way um, we approach Scripture. Um, this book is way far more than a book of rules and a bunch of do's and don'ts and thou shalt's and thou shall nots. Um, it's life. Mm -hmm. And if we don't delve into it deeply and begin to look at, at, at the people in the Bible as they really were, um, we miss out on so much that, that, that we can get. Um, uh, the chapter of faith, Hebrews 11, right? Um, we read that chapter and we're all going, wow, look at those guys. Do you really think Abraham was told to go into a far country and he jumped up and said, Woo, let's go. And he didn't have any doubt or he didn't have any questions or he didn't have any fear or he wasn't a little worried or he wasn't frustrated at all that God's making him leave the convenience of his home and go into a far country. But yet that's how he's presented, isn't he? You know, we're, Abraham's a man of faith. God said go and he went. There's more to it than that. And so I would encourage you to pick your Bible up and to read it and to study it, um, but to delve into it and look at it deeply. Uh, imagine being that person. Imagine that the person you're looking at isn't really all that different from you. How would you have reacted? And maybe get a better feel um, for the guys we find, the people we find in Scripture. I think it's time. Thank you for your attention. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. You're welcome.